Welcome to Only Murders in My Mind, a Random Thought production. Hi, I'm Carol Bissett, a crime writer, and I invite you with my co-presenters, Liz Hedgecock and Mike Jackson, each week to our conversations on all things murderous. Well, hello everybody and welcome to our first podcast, Only Murders in My Mind. This is a podcast for anybody that is interested in crime, fiction, I mean, not doing it. Um, Whether you like to read it, write about it, listen to it, watch a film, hopefully we'll be able to give you some more information about what goes on in the mind of the crime writer. Today I've got with me my two co-presenters, thank you, uh, Liz Hedgecock and Mike Jackson, both authors, both kill peoples in their writing, so they've got murders in their mind as well, and we'll be talking to them in the minute. Uh, This is going to be a weekly podcast, and um, hopefully we'll engage with our listeners, and we will give you the email address to do that very thing at the end. So a little bit about myself. How did I get into writing crime? I have a series called The Warrington Detective and I've always been fascinated by how we humans can kill each other. I mean, it's a terrible thing to say, but if you look at the channels on Sky Television, how many of them have got episodes and series and films about crime, whether it's true crime or whether it's fictional crime. There is loads out there. So uh, we do know there is an audience for uh, more crime. Um, And it was something, uh, as a writer, I wanted to try and I found that um, I'd have a go. People seem to like it and it's really all I'm interested in now. I want to write more about crime. One of my co-presenters, Liz. I'll introduce Liz first, Mike. Ladies first, what do you say? That's always That's a, a good, good idea. idea. Yeah. We're here with our cups of tea. We're just three friends age, chatting. Age before beauty, yeah. I always say. Yeah, we're the three... <laughs> we're... Yeah, yeah. Cheeky. Yeah. Uh, we're the three amigos and we... we We often get asked to go and talk um, in uh, libraries, uh, talk for uh, ladies' groups, etc. So you know, we, we are bookable. Um <laughs> But uh, one of the things we do get asked is uh, why we write. So I'm going to introduce Liz Hedgecock, who is a prolific writer and uh, kills people on a regular basis. Um, And she can tell us a little bit how she ended up uh, as a writer, but more realistically as a a crime writer. Over to you, Liz. Hi, I'm Liz Hedgecock, and I'm not quite as bloodthirsty (laughs) as Carol just made me sound. Thanks, Carol. (laughs) Um, As Carol says, I write a lot of crime and mystery books. Um, I am definitely more towards the cosier end of the spectrum. So, yeah, and I think the reason for that is because I grew up with a lot of crime around me and it was the classics. So uh, those of you a certain age will remember Jeremy Brett as Sherlock Holmes. Um, That was on the TV. It seemed like it was on constantly when I was a kid, although it couldn't have been. And that was a regular thing in our household. We would all sit down for a bit of Sherlock and Watson. Also, Agatha Christie, the novels all around the place, the film adaptations, Joan Hickson as Miss Marple, David Suchet as Poirot, all of that was there as well. And yeah, as a teen, I read a lot of Agatha Christie and yes, I read all of the Holmes books. Um, 
And when I was starting out to write, I started out with very short stories. Then the stories got a bit longer. And eventually I thought I want to try my hand at the actual full length novel. But I thought, this is going to be tricky. How can I make it easier for myself? And I thought, well, if I do something like a mystery, then it kind of plots itself. You have a crime, someone's got to solve it. So it felt like it lent itself to the structure. It was something that I could do. And with an awful lot of reading under my belt, I felt like, you know what, I've done some research on this already, which made it feel a bit easier. And I enjoyed it so much that I carried on and wrote more. So now I have um, various series under my belt from very, very cosy to on the darker side. Um, some of them are Victorian, some of them are modern. So I travel between the 19th and 21st centuries, basically murdering people. And sometimes I murder with an accomplice as I have a co-author on some of my series. So that's me. Yes, and having read most of Liz's books, um, her current series that she is co-writing with, um, what's the name of your co-writer? My co-author is called Paula Harmon, and it's the Booker and Fitch series. Excellent. I love this. Love this series. I, I like. I like the um, the interaction between the characters. Um, it's one of those books I don't want to put down when I'm reading it. So. Yeah, really interesting. Um, have you got anything with you today uh, that you could just give us a snatch of what sort of thing you write? Well, now you mention it. Oh, yes, I have. <laughs> oh, jolly. I'm jolly pleased about well, that. Because you told me to bring some books with sure, me. Sure. So, yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good job. The only person listening to this is my friend Julie. Hi, Julie. Liz has written... Um, I would say she is a, a writer of many books. She, how many books would you say you write? I know some of them are co-written. So it's half a book, but how many books do you think you write a year? Um, I usually write between four and six a year, and I'm probably going to write my 50th book this year. Yay, we have to celebrate that. I'll be celebrating that. that. Yes, a, I might have a rest. That'll be a whole, whole podcast episode on its own just for that book, <laughs> won't it? That's a terrible thought. Well, this, this little bootcase in the corner here, in, in the studio... Um, will soon just be for Liz's books. Oh, right. Yes. I can actually see some, even as yeah. we Yes, yes. I have, I have lent some out to other people. Live reaction on air. Yes, so, that's true. As I look at the bookcase, I'm thinking that means the human body's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it generally does. <laughs> well, yeah, the head's going to have to go somewhere else, isn't it? My freezer's full at the moment, so... Um, that reminds me of a story. But we'll, <laughs> we'll come to that later, as, as they always say. Uh, yeah, so as, as I say... Um, I've read a lot of, I love this cosy murder mystery theme. Um, uh, apparently the sort of people that read, listen to and watch this sort of uh, crime um, go on river cruises because I, I was asked to answer questions once um, on a survey and um, we ended up getting loads of leaflets on river cruises afterwards. So there must be a link somewhere. Um, are you okay, Liz? Have you found the bit that you, you want to read? Yes. So I'll I'll uh, over to you and let you get on with your piece. Okay, I'm going to read a bit from Murder for Murder for Beginners, which is the first Booker and Fitch novel. Um, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, the two main characters are Jade, who runs a crystals and magic shop, and Fee, short for Fiona, who runs a book barge, so a floating bookshop. And at the point where I'm coming in. Somebody has just collapsed in the bookshop after turning the pages of a book and also having a big row with Jade, who just happens to be there at the time. So I'll just read a little bit of this. Jade inched towards Freddy's motionless body. He isn't. He can't be. Freddy's spine arched backwards and Jade jumped. 
She looked at Fee, eyes wide. What's happening? Is it a heart attack? It could be, said the male tourist. You two were having a right old argument. He started it, Jade said, without thinking, then realised that wasn't really an appropriate thing to say. Someone ought to call 999. You, she pointed at him. You've got a phone in your hand. I hope you stopped filming when he fell over. His companion nudged him. Go on, Ben. It's a matter of life and death. He held Jade's gaze. Yes, he said, unlocking his phone. It is. Fee knelt beside Freddy and put an ear to his mouth. He's still breathing. I'll check for a pulse. She caught one of Freddy's jerking arms and held his wrist. Signal's not great, said Ben. I'll step outside. Don't worry, I'm not leaving. Shouldn't someone be doing CPR? Jade asked Fee. If it isn't a heart attack, I might do more harm than good, Fee replied. He's got a pulse, but it's very fast. His heart must be racing, but at least it's still beating. Freddy, can you hear me? Give me a sign if you can. Freddy showed no acknowledgement of Fee's request. His teeth chattered, his head jerked, and he twisted as if he was being electrocuted. He seemed to be in a private hell of his own. I'm sorry, thought Jade. Don't let it be something I did. Even if he did start it. Oh, for a stupid book. The book lay forgotten a few feet away, and Jade reached for it. But as soon as she touched it, she withdrew her hand and rubbed her fingers on her skirt. Fee, you don't think that book had anything to do with it, do you? What? Fee stared up at her, her face incredulous. Don't be silly. I know it's a magic book, but it's not as if a spell jumped out at him, is it? That's not what I mean, said Jade. He was handling that book and licking his finger to turn the pages. Then this happened. They both eyed the book. Fee got up. I'll wash my hands. Can you two stay and watch him, please? She looked at Jade. When I come back, you need to wash yours. You handled the book too. Hardly at all, said Jade. She examined her hands and clasped them behind her back as Fee disappeared through a doorway. I'm sorry, Freddy, she said, though it had no effect on him. I hope you'll be okay. I'm sure he will, said the female tourist. She smiled at Jade but stayed where she was. She's worried she'll be contaminated, thought Jade. Thank you. Just love that book. Uh, that was the first one, wasn't it, of the series? It was the first one, and yes. it did have me guessing. Up. I, I like um, a crime book that has me guessing. Um, I don't want to know who the murder. There's two types, isn't there? There's the crime book where you know who the murderer is right from the get go, but the police have got to prove it. And then there's the sort of crime book which I think we're more used to, where you're trying to find out for yourself who the crime has been committed by before the end you, you want you want to get there before the final chapter and go i knew it was them <laughs> um so yeah and, and that's the sort of book uh, that was for me it was one where i kept turning the pages thinking what the hell's going on here I think in a good way. In a good way, yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, what I want to do is like leave, you know, play fair with the reader and hopefully leave enough clues that it is possible to work it out. So yeah, yeah. What I really dislike is when you're reading a book and then you're practically at the end and then the murderer is revealed and you think, yeah, if I'd actually had all that information that you put on that like next to last page, I could have worked that one out too. Yeah, I was, um, I have done this in my writing where I've had, um, you know, the... Uh, uh, 
inspector has got everybody in the lounge at the end and he's going, oh, you didn't murder them. It's a bit like Death in Paradise. You didn't murder them because. So all the information is in that last chapter, which again, it's a bit of a cheat really. Uh, but I, I know Agatha did it on a regular basis. Uh, and who are we to um, sort of say she did anything wrong? Well, I, I find fasc what's fascinating about Lizzie's books is this particular one is being co-author. She's done it with mm. Paula. And I know from what Liz has said before, they, they work a chapter at a time. So again, I, I couldn't do it myself, but I find that fascinating how you, you keep that story rolling um, in terms of, you know, for example, the chapter you just read to us. Did you write that or did Paula write that? That is one of mine. Right, yeah. But reading the book, you wouldn't know. You can't see, the, you can't see where the joins are, it would seem to me. I think you've got a really good working relationship yes. with Paula, haven't you? Which um, has been very successful. Um, and, and needs lots of planning beforehand too. You, 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 need to, you need to have a good idea, I should imagine, in your head as to where you're going. Mm, I'm very much a planner. Yes. yes. I think personally for me, when you're working with someone else, you really do have to signpost each other yes. and stuff like that. Because mm. otherwise, you know, I think in the early days it would happen that you know, we hadn't got things quite straight and then Paula would murder someone. I'd be like, what did you use then? <laughs> major plot point further down the line and now they're dead and once they're dead they're dead they are yes they're yes, very they're very dead because yeah, yeah. it's pretty you know when Paul murders someone they stay murdered <laughs> yeah I must admit I um I get very attached to um my detectives in my Warrington um detective books um but I do kill major uh, characters off on a regular basis and do get quite upset about it because, you know, they're my friend and I don't really want to kill them off. But, um, but you do anyway. I do anyway, yeah. So. Uh, now, I'd like to introduce, introduce Mike, who is uh, the master of the short story um, and has uh, written uh, quite a few, and they're usually grisly, aren't they, Mike? In a... In, in a Sometimes in a, short way. in a short way, yeah. But I mean, very often, so now and again, we, when I when you read one of your stories out, it makes me laugh. Uh, probably it shouldn't. I'm not sure. Um, and uh, very often, it's like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Mm -hmm. So, um, when you retired, did you visualize yourself writing short stories? That's the first thing I'm going to ask you. No, I, th I think when I retired, um, I. Because I'd, I'd worked in, in education as a teacher, I saw myself writing children's novels. Mm. Uh, and I tried that and got about 20 chapters into it and found that I was just going around in ever-decreasing circles. Because one of the problems with me is that, uh, unlike my two colleagues here, I'm a lazy writer. Um, they both plot, and I'm what, you, what would be described as a pantser. I fly by the seat of my pants and make it up as I'm going along. And with a novel, you, you can't do that. You've got to know where you're going to finish. And that's, a, that's what I find so appealing about short stories because, because they are so short, you don't need um, character development or backstory or anything. Um, as a lazy writer, I can write a short story and leave a lot of it to the reader's imagination so they have to fill in the gaps rather than me writing them, um, which I find... More... More you. <laughs> More you. Um, and I tend to, I find what I am doing is that the uh, the shorter the story, the better. And it's not easy to write a very short story. No, no. Um, I've tried this um, and I've succeeded, but how good it is is another thing, you know. So um, I take my hat off to you there. And I'm not quite sure. I mean, I think... Unlike the pair of you who have made a decision to go down that road of 
writing about crime, I find that my stories that are have a, a criminal link or a murder in them happen almost accidentally. I, I don't I don't set off to plan to write um, a short story where somebody gets murdered, um, but I do find some humour in crime, and I do find some humour in um, in death and murder, which might say something about me. And, and I think <laughs> that's why the stories uh, come out as they do. And I've also been um, accused of killing my dear wife a very, very, very number of times. And do you she know dies she's on a lovely. regular basis. And she's a lovely lady. She is, yes. Alive, she's a lovely lady. <laughs> she's a lovely lady. Uh, so do you want to give us uh, an example of what you're talking about so that we've got... Um, more of a sort of uh, you, how yeah. you are with your stories. Yeah, well, I've got a, a few I'm to read out. Um, I say a few, uh, just a couple. Um, I'm going to start off with some hint fiction. I came across hint fiction uh, through a chap called Robert uh, Swartwood, and he defines hint fiction as a story of 25 words or fewer that suggests a larger, more complex story. So uh, here are a couple of uh, 25 word. Hint fiction. And this one's called Sweet Cinders. The bullet caught Humpty in the centre of his forehead. Cinders watched as the yolk drained out of him. Another successful hit. <laughs> you don't need many words to kill no. somebody. <laughs> um, this one's called A Fat Neck. The fold in his neck, where one layer of fat overlapped another, is where I inserted the needle. He didn't feel a thing. <laughs> And this one's called The Other Woman. He told me there was another woman. I've decided she can have him. Tomorrow I'll send her his fingers, on Tuesday his ears, and then his... <laughs> so I, I find that, you know, with, with very short stories, you can get away with murder. Um, <laughs> frequently. Frequent. Uh, and the other thing that I love writing are what's called drabbles, uh, which are 100-word stories. And they've got to be exactly 100 words. If you ever try this, um, the worst thing is that you write the story and you find you've got 102 words. And trying to get rid of those two words can be a real nightmare. Yeah, I challenge, I challenge our listeners to try this. Try it, yeah. Mm. Stephen King, I, I found this quote from Stephen King. He said about short stories, A short story is a different thing altogether. A short story is like a quick kiss in the dark from a stranger. <laughs> Which I quite like. So this one, 100 words, this one. Uh, it's called The Clock. My fingers are wrapped round the stone in my pocket, your sticky blood still warm to the touch. I was going to throw it in the lake alongside your bound and weighted body, but I kept it instead. I'm reminded of the day I finally found the courage to do what I should have done years ago. I'm thinking of putting it on the mantelpiece alongside that hideous clock your mother gave us as a wedding present. Like our marriage, it never worked. There will be a constant reminder to me of the two women I hated most in this world. Yes, you see, there, there is, even with grizzliness, um, there's some humour. Uh, there's a good lad, this one's called. Sorry, just to, to interrupt, I, I love telling stories that just dialogue in, and this is a dialogue-only story. George here, boss. I found the car just where you said it would be. Good lad, George. Look on top of the front tyre, driver's side. You should find the ignition key. Got it, boss. What now? I need you to get it validated, son. I'm taking the wife out for an anniversary dinner tonight. I want the motor looking at its best. Take care how you drive it. Don't want to find any scratches. OK, boss. Oh, and George, you'll find a dead body in the boot. Can you dispose of that as well? There's a good lad. <laughs> uh, 
And then, have I got time for yes, a long Yes, you have, you have. So every now and again, I do write longer stories, though it's um, hard work. Uh, <laughs> so this one, I think this one's... So how long is a long story, Mark? I've actually got as... I think I've got some short stories that get as far as 1,500 words. I know. Wow. This one isn't. This is about five or 600. And it's called Our Apologies. Dear Mr and Mrs Spencer... Can I begin by offering you my sincere apologies for the disgraceful ransom note you received yesterday? It was extremely crude, both in terms of its layout and the vulgarity of the language used. Unfortunately, it was the work of my rather stupid associate, a loyal employee, but not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Rest assured, he has been severely spoken to and has promised that will never happen again. In his defence, I believe him when he says he was trying to help by taking some of the workload off my shoulders. Unfortunately, his poor home background, deprived childhood and unsatisfactory schooling came to the fore and you were the recipients. Once again, please accept my profuse apologies. Despite his shortcomings, my colleague does possess certain quality, qualities that I find indispensable in our line of work. Personally, I would have been a little less graphic with the threats. Unfortunately, he does have this annoying habit of saying things as he sees them, though his choice of words leaves much to be desired. So when he wrote, and I quote, pay up or I'll cut the little bitch up real nasty, I'm afraid that's exactly what he meant. I've seen him at his work and while not pretty, he's very good at what he does. Once again, I feel I must offer you my sincere apologies for the way you receive this information. Procedures this end have been tightened up to ensure such an unfortunate occurrence doesn't happen again. In conclusion, may I remind you that the ransom deadline draws near and my associate grows impatient. I look forward to an early conclusion to our present business. Yours faithfully, your daughter's captor. <laughs> Who is very polite compared very polite. to the person that's actually cutting them up. I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I find when, when you're playing around with something like murder... Um, however graphic it is with a short story it almost allows you to throw that humour in um, because you're not having to develop the whole thing you know you don't know you don't need to know in that bit who's been abducted why they've been abducted or if they get back to the parents yeah I don't even name people I very rarely name anybody in my stories and I suppose one of the things with you know writing cosy crime which I do a fair bit of is the violence tends to be off screen so yeah. to speak so you know it, it's i suppose we can liken it to things uh midsummer murders mm-hmm. um i like agatha raisin mm-hmm. um and they're all the, the crimes you you see the bodies but you yes. don't often see. sometimes in midsummer murders you can you see the axe coming down and then the next thing it's like the detectives are there and the bodies sort of you know, in a you corner, see the and yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Um, and, and another thing that we often get asked when we do our talks is, where do you get ideas from? Liz, where do you get ideas from? Quite often it's a what if, or it'll be something like, you know, recalling something I've read and thinking now. Obviously, I don't want to replicate all of that, but what if everybody did it? Mm. But they weren't collaborating. They just all murdered this person in different ways yeah is it murder on the orient express where everybody is the killer which is a brilliant way of like we're all guilty and nobody's guilty because we don't know which 
knife actually pierce the heart or do we <laughs> or sometimes it feels like well i really fancy writing something set in a country house or mm. you know what if um, yeah, so it could be anything. Really. I mean, we'll go back in episode two about the people that we get our sort of, the people that we like to read and the people that we like to watch. Mike, where do you get your inspiration from? I, d- I don't know, because as I said before, I tend to write by the seat of my pants. Some of these ideas just come. But one of the things I am fascinated with is taking an idea um, like somebody's murdered their wife and they've got a bloody stone in their hand and then just seeing where that idea might sort of lead me to knowing that I'm restricting myself to 100 words and the other thing is um, I came across something that's called fractured fairy tales mm. which is a bit like the uh, the Humpty Dumpty one I read out where uh, Cinderella is an assassin and uh, you know he didn't <laughs> fall off the wall he was shot and, and you can play around with that you know for example I've got another story where the three bears um, Goldilocks is being questioned by the police and while she admits to breaking in eating the porridge breaking the chair she knows nothing about the three dead bears upstairs <laughs> you know, so, so you, you can take you can take ordinary situations and just yeah. twist them I think sometimes you can find the extraordinary in the ordinary yes right yes. yes. so Carol your ideas where do they come well, from? well I was going to say when, when we um, hear things on the radio about terrible crimes and we go you wouldn't believe that and it's this thing, isn't it? It's um, truth is stranger than fiction because people can think up so many ways to um, give other humans, you know, make them suffer pain and, and actually kill them. Um, and some of my friends that know me uh, who are beta readers, and we'll talk about beta readers again at a point in the future because an important part of the process, go, how do you sleep at night? When, you, when you've written this grisly scene where people are being, you know, tortured, etc. Um, well, I do. I do sleep at night, so I don't know what that says about me, really. Um, but my ideas I get from um, something we're going to, as I say, we're going to talk about it in the, in the next episode. The people that influenced us, uh, the people whose books we, we read, uh, films we watched, etc., and also, um, true crime, you know, uh, every now and again, um, I'll watch something and I'll think I can incorporate that in one of my stories. Um, but yes, it's uh, it's all about having a bit of a warped mind, I think, <laughs> slightly. I've also found too, because I sometimes, um, I like playing around on the internet and there are various people out there who put up prompts every week, for, especially for 100 stories, and they often put a picture prompt up. And I find that helps. Some of the pictures I see sometimes will will generate yeah. an idea. Yeah. I mean, I am, um, on my computer, I have got more chapter one um, sort of stored on my computer than probably anybody else because I would very often think, well, that's a good idea, and get to the end of the first chapter. And I think this is something you stumbled with, wasn't it, Mike, when you, you decided you'd write your book? and get to the end of chapter one and go, I haven't got a clue what's going to happen next. Um, I find that if the story's going to go anywhere, it, it's uh, going somewhere by chapter two and by chapter three, it's getting up ahead of steam. So I, I know where I'm going. With um, crime, uh, you really do have to plan it. I'm, I For my other books, I just wrote by the seat of my pants. But 
you do have to be careful with crime because um, the, the one I'm writing at the moment, I completely forgot about one of my bodies that had been found earlier in the book. You can't do that sort of thing. It's unfortunate if you forget it one is, of your bodies. It is, isn't it? It's careless. There are rather a lot scattered around in this particular book anyway. Um, so I think we'll, we'll bring this episode, our very first episode, to, uh, to a close. Um, and as I say, we will be uh, discussing next week, we will be discussing uh, the crimes we consume, the books we've read, the TV we watch, the films we love, and how did that influence our work. And we're going to talk a little bit about what we're working on at the moment. So from myself, Liz, and Mike. Goodbye. Bye. And remember, it's only scary when the light goes out. You have been listening to Only Murders in My Mind, a Random Thought production, produced by John Bissett. The music in Peril was composed and recorded by OM Studio Strings. Mm-hmm.